Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. This is Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts, Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Finsider Radio. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Aaron Sutton. Joshua Houts is hopefully going to join us later in the show, but he is on baby duty right now. And as we all know, family comes first. Family over everything, especially this season. The Miami Dolphins starting 0-2, getting whooped up by the Patriots. No surprise there. This line, I believe, was 19-16 or 19 or 16 or so. Coming into the game, the Patriots more than covered it. They actually doubled it, more than doubled it. And the Dolphins now on a historic pace to be outscored. Uh, one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in NFL history. But the only way to go is up from here. The Dolphins didn't get beat as bad as they did against the Ravens. They were actually in this game, Sutton based on a scoreboard until halftime and and through a little bit of halftime. I know their offense did absolutely nothing, but if you tuned into the game towards halftime, if you just simply look at the scoreboard, you would have thought the Dolphins had some kind of chance to get back into this and to make some noise and and take the Patriots down to the wire. Obviously, if you're watching the game the entire time, you knew the Dolphins had absolutely no shot based on the way their offense was not moving at all. And that is a problem that we should be a little bit concerned with. Obviously, this team is going to look completely different, especially with a new quarterback in 2020. So we're not going to spend too much time analyzing all this Dolphin stuff. Listen, guys and girls and our moms and dads listening. (laughs) We're not the podcast that is going to do a deep dive on players. We're not going to analyze every little thing. We're the podcast that's going to talk to you straight. We're going to be those guys that that you find at the restaurant, that you find at the bar, 
that you find at your kitchen table just talking about football, talking about the Dolphins. We're going to have a conversation with all of you, just like we have a conversation with all of us. So if you're looking for deep dives, analytics, all that kind of stuff on Finsider Radio, you're going to get that sometimes, but you're not going to get that all the time. Uh, there are different podcasts out there that already do a good job of doing that. There's no reason for us to get into all of that. And that's just not our thing. You know, if you've been listening to us for the past four years, you'd know this by now. So I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel like I just have to level set here for our new listeners. I know we've been getting quite a few hundred new listeners over the past several months. So for those of you who are tuning in for the very first time or for the first few times, just know that this is who we are, but we hope we can provide you some entertainment in the 30 or so minutes that we do come on the air and talk to you about Miami Dolphins football. All of that said, Sutton, Dolphins Patriots, Dolphins lost, Dolphins Cowboys, Cowboys favored by a bunch, probably going to lose, and the Dolphins got the Chargers, then we got the bye week. What do you got for us? Yeah, I'll be curious to get Houts' perspective since he was down there for the game, and I know he had mentioned on last week's show that he thought things could possibly get worse, and technically, by the score, they didn't get worse. And honestly, the defense did look a little better. I think that was one thing that we were gravely concerned about after week one. It's like, whoa. I mean, I know we were going to be bad, but you know, the defense, that was supposed to be one of the calling cards going forward, and it looked like it had no semblance that they knew what they were doing. And you just See, you saw uh, on Sunday that, that there was more to work with uh, against the Patriots. And, of course, you're going to have teams that come out flat, and I think the Patriots looked uh, pretty flat there a few times in the first half. And, you know, eventually we shot ourselves in the foot a few times, and uh, the Patriots made some plays and ended up being 43 to nothing. Um, but uh, there was something more to sink your teeth into in week two in terms of an improvement and – you know, I, I've mentioned in several places that things probably aren't going to be better till after the bite anyway. We're under a new regime, under new schematics, and we had a huge roster turnover even the week right before the season started. So even under ideal circumstances, there's going to be some growing pains there. So we've just magnified that on a very historic level. And I know we've seen some really crazy data sets about what we're on pace to do. Still two games, so let's not um, – we're not a clown car of, of ridiculousness just yet. Up to this point, yes, but over the entire season, that remains to be seen. Yeah, the Dolphins uh, just keep getting into their own – I don't want to say mess because they're doing things the right way here, right? They're they are tearing this thing down, and they're building it back up, and I know the Dolphins have been getting a ton of criticism – from local and national media, but I feel like the fans know what's going on and the fans are totally cool with it. I mean, obviously there's a pocket of fans who don't agree with this method and right. That's their opinion. That's their rights. But there are, I would say the vast majority of fans have a complete understanding of what's going on here. And we all know this year is going to suck. Doesn't mean we can't sit back and complain about us sucking so much. But I think we all see the potential light at the end of the tunnel. And I say potential light at the, end, at the end of the tunnel because we know the Dolphins have to make the right free agent signings. We know the Dolphins have to make the right picks in the NFL draft. And all of that combined together will help, hopefully help this Dolphins team get back on the right track and get them to a perennial playoff contender and obviously a Super Bowl contender as well. The Dolphins are certainly laying the foundation the right way right now. 
now that phase two or phase three, whatever you may call it, will be free agency. Phase four will be the NFL draft. And then phase five will be putting this team together and hoping that Brian Flores is the right guy to lead this team forward. Now the Dolphins continuing to lay the foundation or dismantling it whichever way you want to look at it by trading Minka Fitzpatrick away to the Pittsburgh Steelers for a 2020 first round pick amongst other late round considerations. Now, Pro Football Network, as you know, we are all a part of and own and run and everything else. Let me just take you a little bit inside behind the scenes as to what happened with Minka Fitzpatrick, the inside scoop on all of that. So during the Monday Night Football game, I received a text from uh, co-owner Matt Infante, who on Twitter is known as the at Matty Infante. And, uh, you know, when uh, the ownership group, the six of us talk through text message a lot of the time, we talk through our Slack channel a lot of the time, but it's not often where other guys are starting the conversation per se. It's usually me engaging everyone else and then, you know, figuring everything out first. But so when I got that text from Matt, you know, uh, around, let's see here. I'm just looking through my text messages here because the adrenaline was running. Uh, 8.15 p.m. So right as soon as Monday Night Football was starting, I get that text from him. And, and I get the text that says, just told from my best source that unless somebody comes in and blows them away last minute, that Minka is, go- is, the Minka is going to be traded. And... At that point, you know, the Seahawks were one of the front runners, which, as we reported on PFN, that that was the case. Now, we also continued from that point forward to get additional sources to confirm this, right? Because we don't ever want to go out there with just one source on this. We want to get a double source. We want to get a triple source if we possibly can. So our own Tony Pauline, the NFL draft analyst, part of the Pro Football Network, I got him on his guys checking into things. I started contacting my people and then we had a few others checking with their contacts as well. We sat on this for a good, I would say about an hour and a half. And uh, the word we were getting back from about a few of our sources was mixed. Um, Some had heard that Seattle was in the running. Others heard differently. One of our sources, and then we were able to double confirm this said that the chiefs, and the Steelers were making a very strong push for Minka Fitzpatrick. And that's when we had put on uh, Pro Football Network that unless, you know, a team comes in and blows them away, he's likely headed to the Seahawks and is there a front runner. But it is very possible that the Chiefs or Steelers could make a bigger offer at the last minute to get Minka. And that's exactly what happened. The Steelers came in with a better offer. We're hearing, and I wasn't able to get beyond a first primary source on this, but from that primary source, we heard the Steelers were offering a second-round pick and a player that I could not get the name of. And obviously that was not going to do it. The Chiefs were offering their first-round pick from what I've been told. The Seahawks were as well. Obviously the Dolphins, when they told the Steelers that we had multiple offers, and that if they had, if they were giving their first round pick, the deal would be done. The Dolphins saw the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger. They thought that, um, you know, the chances of them getting a higher pick than the Chiefs or Seahawks are obviously much, much greater and almost inevitable to happen. But the fact remains that without Ben Roethlisberger, without Le'Veon Bell, with James Conner dinged up, the Steelers have a very, very good shot at picking at minimum top 15, right? Possibly top 10. That would be incredible for the Dolphins. And people are saying, 
why they trade Minko? Why did they do this? And I have mixed feelings on it. I know House, you're in, you're not, you're on too, and you know you were able to talk to Minka in the locker room in Miami, and I want to touch on that because I kind of want to spend a little bit on Minka because I know a little fans are kind of polarized on this and split down the aisle. When I went to Miami last year, when I was in the locker room, I talked to Minka one on one. It was after I believe the Jets game where they won. And that was one of the games where Minka was thrown into the mix because of injuries and played all these different positions. And I had asked him about that. And I said, Minka, you know, you playing all these positions, you know, how do you handle it all? And he goes, you know, it's a lot of studying. It's a, it's a lot to take in, but at the end of the day, you got to go out there and do your job. Very polite, very professional. I know a lot of fans are bashing him, but my interaction with him, I was there. I was one-on-one with him after all the other reporters had left him alone. I walked up to him. He was very gracious to talk to me for a good five minutes and very respectable in in all his answers and towards me and gave me in-depth answers to what I was asking. Howitz, I know you were in front of his locker. Obviously, his last game as a Dolphin. What did you take away? You know, how was his body language? How was everything that he said? Because I think that's important for fans to understand the guy behind the mask, the guy under the helmet. What kind of person is Minka Fitzpatrick? Yeah, and I'm sure the attitude in the locker room was a lot different when you were there than when I'm there. Because, I mean, the Dolphins just got outscored 102 to 10 over the last two weeks. So the the locker room was definitely defeated. You know, a lot of the players just seemed down and out. Minka was very professional. He answered all the questions that was asked of him. He did make a comment about how, you know, as long as he's an aqua and orange, he will be a Miami Dolphin. He will be a professional. Obviously, that was the last time he met with the media. It was kind of weird, though, because earlier that day, you know, that Stephen Ross report came out. I believe he talked to uh, Dave Hyde or maybe it was Barry Jackson. I get the two mixed up. But he talked to one of them, and he kind of said, you know, Minka is going to go out there and he's going to play. And they kind of put in, you know, parentheses, you know, Sunday. He kind of made it a point to say, you know, for now, Minka Fitzpatrick is going to go out there and do what's asked of him. It's kind of funny. He was asked to do all these different things. You know, his mom made a gripe about it throughout the throughout the summer months. And then, you know, even he kind of alluded to it. You know, he shouldn't be having to play down in the box at his, his same weight that he's playing with that, you know, corner or the same at safety and he kind of went on to say how he did not want to play safety and I think the most fascinating part about this is that the Dolphins just traded him to the Steelers and they came right out and said you know you're starting at safety this week so if he truly did feel that that was not a position that he could excel at at his current weight at his current you know body frame and now he's getting asked to you know go right in there and do it I think I think it's going to be a test to see what type of professional he really is. And, I mean, you can't sit here and say, you know, losing these games doesn't affect him because he just came from Alabama. So he's not really used to losing. You know, this is a guy who I think we all can admit is going to eventually be a superstar in the league. I just look at this draft pick, and the Dolphins had the potential. You know, Mika Fitzpatrick was the 11th overall pick. You know, they have a chance to get a top 10 pick. You know, maybe they even get a player that, you know— scouts covet more than a Minka Fitzpatrick I know a lot of people look at Derwin James and say that should have been the guy I still think it should have been maybe Lamar Jackson we can sit here and go back and forth hindsight's 2020 but at the end of the day Minka Fitzpatrick did not want to be in Miami obviously he was a guy that you could have built upon for the future but he did not want to be in Miami they had to do something they had to get rid of him there were many offers on the table like you alluded to they took the best one there's a very good chance that Steelers pick will be top 10 come 2020 I think it's a fascinating subject that you kind of brought up, Houts, and that's college players that play in these big five schools that 
are not used to losing. And when you get into a league based on parity and you're losing a lot of games, you happen to play for the Miami Dolphins going through what they're going through right now. I mean, that really tests your resolve as a professional. And, you know, I, I think it's one of those kind of intangibles that it's tough for teams to kind of measure in a man is how does, how, how do you, how do you measure in resiliency? How, how do you, how do you deal with that adversity? And sometimes you don't know how someone's going to respond until they're dealing with it. So, you know, it remains to be seen with Minka still playing safety in Pittsburgh. We're going to see some more details from this story kind of emerge, and we're going to be able to look at this in hindsight and piece some of this together a little bit more. Uh, so I think there's some more layers to this story that we're still not aware of. But I think one of the dichotomies for fans is the Tunsil trade and the Minka trade and those people who are really oppositional towards the tank see that as, well, we just spent two first rounders on guys that we just traded. How can we trust the people who are going to be making the picks? And you have to kind of see these as two independent events. Okay. These are two totally different situations. Yeah, and real quick, uh, one thing that's fascinating to me is, like, this year more than ever, you know, players are starting to realize if they speak out or, you know, they hold out, they saw with Le'Veon Bell last year, good things will come. So I think now more than ever, you know, these players, for right or wrong, these young guys, you know, even some veterans that have proven that they can play in the league, if they don't like what's going on in that organization, they're speaking out about it. I mean, Taco Charlton is a guy who, you know, was a first-round draft pick, didn't really live up to that hype, but he just, you know, got his way, and now he got released by the Dallas Cowboys. So it's crazy to me how these players are now realizing, you know, I can just say what I want if I if I need to, you know, go public with this and, and get traded. That is what I'll do. Another thing, Pittsburgh's not going to be good this year. You know, the Miami Dolphins are bad. They've been bad for, you know, 20 years now. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, for as great of an organization as they are, they're not looking good. You know, they got Mason Rudolph coming, and their entire season hinges on him. So he's going from a locker room that, you know, everything is going wrong to one that could very well, everything could be going wrong. It's definitely going to test what type of character he is. And, you know, heading into the draft, he was a surefire pick. You know, the perfect character. Nick Saban's son, he seemed to be the complete opposite so far in Miami. It'll be very interesting to see how everything plays out in Pittsburgh. We don't know, you know, all the inner workings of, of Minka and all that. We can just take our guesses. Obviously, it was more than just playing different positions because he was very enthusiastic about playing different positions when he got out of college, when he was drafted by the Dolphins. And it seemed like he bashed Burke a little bit last year. Uh, we all thought, yeah, that's okay. Burke didn't know what he was doing. Bashed Brian Flores this year and his coaching staff. I mean, at what point do you say, okay, maybe it's you and not me, right? Maybe it's Minka and not the Dolphins. Maybe he has an issue with, with things. And I saw a stat uh, earlier today, I believe it was from Pro Football Focus, how Minka had missed only a, a handful of tackles in college, but has almost uh, tripled or quadrupled that in, in one and a half, not even one and a half seasons in the NFL. And I don't know. If it's that, okay, Minkin got to the NFL and realized, oh my God, these guys are way bigger than me, and I'm not going to succeed at, at free safety. I'm not going to succeed at strong safety. I can't play in the box like I did at college. My only hope 
to become a superstar all-pro player is at the slot cornerback position. Well, that's okay, right? I, I guess that's okay, but it, it's you know that's not what the Dolphins drafted him to be, and he he referred to himself as a Swiss Army knife to the Miami media when he was drafted, and then to have this change all of a sudden, it is quite possible that he realized that he's not fit out to play all these positions in the NFL, even though he did a pretty good job of doing so. Or, like you alluded to, how it's maybe it was just too much losing for him to handle with from last year and going throughout the rest of this season. But that's kind of leaving your guys just hanging. You know, I, I feel that's kind of rough there. You know, guys like Xavier Howard signed that long-term contract. Guys like Jesse Davis and Jakeem Grant and Daniel Kilgore and Bobby McCain. And those guys are sticking it out and are st- standing with each other in the trenches. And then for a guy like him to just bolt out of the way, it's not a great look. I have mixed feelings on it. On one hand, I, I like Minka the guy. I think he's very respectful. I think he's very uh, kind and has a good demeanor to himself and is way mature beyond his years. On the other hand, I think that age factor may play a little against him, especially just having one full season under his belt in the NFL. But you're right, son. I mean, this is a different era in the NFL. And how you mentioned it too, Taco Charlton demanding his way out of Dallas. Antonio Brown demanding his way out of Oakland. Jalen Ramsey now demanding his way out of Jacksonville. And I saw a local Miami reporter compare this to when Dan Marino asked to be traded, when uh, Larry Zonka asked to be traded. Listen, the era now versus the era then is totally different. Totally, totally different. You cannot compare the two. It is completely apples and oranges. Uh, I don't even know why they put that comparison out there, but the the saltiness from some of the local media, and it's not everybody, but the saltiness from some of the local media down in Miami is, is off the charts. And then, of course, from the national media as well. So it's going to be a long year. 14 games to go, guys. We got this. <laughs> Keep on tanking. <laughs> and, you know, to keep on tanking, right, Josh, but, uh, you know, the Dolphins might have to go 0-16 to secure that number one pick. When you look at the NFL right now, when you look at the standings around the NFL, when you look at the makeup of the teams throughout the NFL, there is some serious competition that is going to give the number one pick a run for its money. Let's just start in the AFC East. In the AFC East, uh, you know, you got the Jets. They're a disaster right now. Adam Gase looks way in over his head. Way more than he ever looked in Miami. We are so shocked. So (laughs) shocked by these developments. I didn't expect it, though, Sutton, to be this bad this early, (laughs) right? I mean, his offense has looked putrid. And, yes, he was without Sam Darnold, but he is supposed to be an offensive genius. When you're an offensive genius, you're supposed to be able to make something out of nothing and out-scheme the opponent. And we've seen none of that. We didn't see much of that in Miami as well. You know, we saw part of it. We saw it in bursts and flashes, you know, especially when that time when uh, Brock Osweiler came in and played lights out against the Bears. Adam Gase did a tremendous job in that game. And I'm sure he'll have some flashes there uh, in New York, but I think they're going to be too far and too far in between each other. And he's just going to get continued to be killed by the local media out there. And it's if they keep losing or if they have a, a losing record, by a lot, I don't know if he's going to survive the the end of the season or you know the off season per se. So 
the Jets can give a Dol- the Dolphins a run for their money, especially because the Dolphins played them twice. If the Dolphins back into a win uh, either or both of those times, that number one pick could be in trouble. You continue down the Broncos. Uh, I think it's an outside shot for them to give them a run. I think Vic Fangio will get this team playing, and they almost barely uh, beat the Bears, and the Bears had a really nice kick there to win that game. Uh, you go down a little bit to Steelers. I don't think they're going to be bad enough to get that number one overall pick, but even if they do, the Dolphins will have it. Their biggest competition of and don't think for one second the Bengals have their eye on a quarterback as well, and most likely to us. So the Dolphins do play the Bengals late in December. That could very well decide the number one pick. And if the teams are tied record-wise going into that game, the Dolphins better deactivate Xavier Howard and guys like Bobby McCain. And every good player on this team better be on that sideline, not playing in that game. I think at that point – go ahead. I'm just envisioning – so, you know, in the movie The Waterboy, which is a way better Adam Sandler movie than Big Daddy. But anyway, oh, that's whatever. a difference. That's yeah, a, that whatever. is very true. Foosball's the devil. <laughs> so in that, there, there, there's that scene where I can't remember what the name of the college is, but they just start kneeling the ball because they don't want Bobby Bichette <laughs> to play on yeah. defense. So I could totally see the Dolphins or other teams or, yeah, the Dolphins coming out and just kneeling the ball. It'd or, be funny. It'd be funny if both teams started kneeling the ball, or both the Bengals and the Dolphins, yeah. or in an evil parallel universe, Adam Gase is the one kneeling the ball, so the Jets cure <laughs> the number one pick, so they can screw us. Remember when the Buccaneers were trying to get that number one pick to get Jameis Winston, who they ended up selecting, and we didn't know at the time they wanted Jameis. It was that debate between Jameis and Mariota up until draft day, basically. But remember when they were about to win that game uh, towards the end of the season? I think it was one of the last two games. And magically, miraculously, there was an extra man on the field. They got sent in uh, on that play. Um, and then they ended up getting penalized and lost the game because of it. But don't tell me the coaches did not know what they were doing sending that 11th guy into the game. They knew exactly what was happening, and they ended up losing that game. And we better see the same kind of heads up from the Dolphins coaches if it gets down yeah. to that in that game. I think at that point, I think there's only like one more game after that game. I think every fan and every person would understand the Dolphins need to do everything they can to lose that game to secure that number one pick. Yeah, people but, don't people don't like loopholes, and that's kind yeah. of what they're doing right now. But yep. you know, they just don't like it being so demonstrative. And I don't think we're trying to be that – outlandish with what we're trying to do it's just happened to work out that first two weeks i mean baltimore's always kicked our ass and new england yes they've not had as much success in miami but they usually kick our ass so (laughs) i mean it's it is what it is yeah it's the old poop hole loophole is what you called and you know the the dolphins you know as much as you guys i've never heard that before in my life ever but that's kind of cool that you Put and that they, together. Yeah, and the, Dolph- the Dolphins, I don't think they're going to go out there and try to lose like you guys are, are you know, insinuating that they, <laughs> they they will. And I absolutely think they should. But I, I just – part of me, I, I don't know. How do you guys feel? Do you think they can really go 0-16? Do you think that after I, all these years I, of not having a – I know how bad they look, but, hard, but we're Dolphin fans. It's very hard to go 0-16. We're Dolphin fans, and we need them to go 0-16 to get to a – I mean – it's not. Why would it happen? Why would something good ha- finally happen? To we, this team? we don't know. We don't know if we have to go zero and sixteen to secure the first pick. We don't know that yet. 
it seems like there's more competition than there normally is at this stage in the season. But we, we still, I mean, there's still a lot of football left to be played to see where, you know, all these dominoes are going to shake out. Well, well, let me ask this. Are you guys more nervous, you know, hoping to get that first pick than you would be in a normal season, you know, when you're just trying to get to 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7? and seven? Yes, I am nervous. Yeah. I'm, I'm more nervous stressed out. Hell. Yeah, I'm more stressed uh, out because the end game is Tua, and I think anything yeah. short of that is a loss, and... Just, well, yeah. and and then there's the teams who have recently gotten a, a quarterback who could very well trade that pick to another team that's not us. So even if these teams that we're talking about who've already invested in a young quarterback, that's not to say they wouldn't trade with another team to give that number one pick to for presumably the best quarterback that class who we think is two at this point. So even that scenario could screw us. And I, I hear people saying, well, who cares? The Dolphins have all this draft ammo anyways to move up. But that's not the point. The point is to use just one pick on Tua, right? And to use the other picks to get presumably your offensive tackle, get presumably either a cornerback or a pass rusher, and to continue to strengthen. I mean, having to trade maybe two or three first-round picks would totally defeat the purpose of the Dolphins trading away all their assets to get to where they need to be. But you're right, Houts. I mean, it is nerve-wracking. Specs. Not yet, because we knew we were probably going to get beat up by the Ravens. We knew we were going to get beat up by the uh, Patriots. We know we're going to get beat up by the Cowboys. We know we're most likely going to get beat up by the Chargers. But then when Rosen gets in there after, week, after the bye week, presumably, and you start playing teams like the Giants and the Jets and the Bengals later on and even the Colts, Yikes. Uh, it can get to, to the point where it's like towards the end of the season when that number one pick is within reach and there's a few teams around the Dolphins who have similar records. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how fans and ourselves react to these games. I mean, it's still early right now. So let's say the Dolphins go, you know, with Rosen, they go on a four game winning streak. Well, that's good, right? I mean, if Rosen ultimately, if Rosen proves to be the guy, then you have three picks in the first round to build around him. That's not the worst thing in the world to happen. It's almost like, you know, I've said it before, Garoppolo, when he came in and led the 49ers, who they thought were going to get that number one pick to, you know, either get a quarterback or bolster their line or bolster their team. And then he goes on a five-game winning streak. It still wasn't the end of the world for them because they got their franchise quarterback with that, right? And he's lighting it up in the first two weeks this season. So if Rosen comes in and plays lights out, and let's say he leads the Dolphins to five, six wins, I mean, I, isn't that kind of what we want? I, I think. Um, oh, then you have then you have those three other picks to get your offensive tackle, to get a pass rusher, maybe two pass rushers, to get your cornerback to pair uh, opposite Xavier Howard. So this season can go a lot of different ways. But if we get to that point where the Dolphins have only won one game or no games, and the Bengals or, or another team like the Jaguars are right there with them. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. I just, yes. thought, I just thought of this like weird tiebreaker scenario, and I don't. this has never happened in NFL history, so I don't know what the actual ruling would be. But if two teams finished 0-16, would it then go by the it would go by strength, strength of, of schedule? It would go the strength of schedule like other tiebreakers. So yeah, which basically is basically at the mercy of who you happen to be scheduled against that particular year. 
Yeah, ba- basically right now that's why the Dolphins don't have the number one pick right now if the season were to end today because of strength of schedule. So, it's that, yeah, it's that, that would be very interesting if it ended up working out that way where there's yeah, two that, 0 and 6 teams. That would just be the final <laughs> nail in the coffin as a Dolphins fan. But, but what right. you guys both said was Josh Rosen. You both mentioned Josh Rosen, how if he plays well, that's the best thing in this team's interest. And you're absolutely right. And then even if they build everything around them, they still go into 2021 with a slew of draft picks. You know, I'm sure they do some moving up and down this year and acquire more. And then they have their chance to get in Trevor Lawrence, who, you know, we all think the world of Tua. I mean, I know it's early. No one even really talked about Kyler Murray, you know, last year at this point. But yeah, it's a little early to sit here and crown him. But Tua seems to be that guy. Trevor Lawrence is even better than that. So, I mean, at worst case, if the Dolphins do go out there and win games, you know, maybe, maybe Trevor Lawrence, then we start to set our sights on him instead. Yeah. I mean, lots of ways this season can unfold, lots of ways next season can unfold as well. But one thing for sure we know is that Chris Greer said he's going to spend a lot of money in free agency, and that's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a hell of an offseason for the Dolphins this year, and a hell of an offseason for all the fans. The Dolphins already, uh, through a source, uh, through Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post, said they are going to be planning a big draft party in Vegas. And why the hell not? Dolphins fans are going to take over Vegas. I know I'm going. I hope you two can join me there. And it's going to be a lot of freaking fun this offseason. Yeah, we'll, we'll be going to the Combine as well. So... Again, another another fun area to be in and another just closer to the action. Yes, and just to throw this out there, I know with the bevy of picks that we're playing with in 2020, the natural instinct is to think we're going to use those picks to bundle up and trade up. And I do not think that's how this organization is going to play it. When you have this, when you have these types of resources, um, it's like any other business. You're going to use those. And if you can trade down and get multiple picks for a team that's going to have much more roster turnover than we saw this year, trading down actually seems like a lucrative philosophy to be going with so you could actually see these guys and i'm not saying with the number one pick but some of the other first round picks and the second round picks that we have you could easily see the dolphins trading down and just getting more dart to the dartboard to try to plug these holes with quality players i saw this theory go ahead i was just saying we can't forget chris greer mentioned they are going to have a slew of money next year and they are not going to be scared to use it they're not going to sit on it like many anticipated so you know, the Dolphins, they, they get to a number one overall, and just like Sutton said, you take your next first-round pick, you trade down to a guy that needs a Justin Herbert, and they give you two first-round picks and a little bit more, and you just keep acquiring these picks the same way that New England has done it. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of people are upset with some of the players they got rid of, but I think good things are going to come. Just trust the process. Everything, everything will work itself out. I will absolutely be in Vegas, though. No way in hell I'd miss that. Let's go, Outs. I saw a tweet the other day. I think it was from Alf from uh, uh, Uptime Report. I think it was from Alf from Three Yards for Carry. I apologize if it wasn't him and if it was someone else, but I think the tweet said something like, you know, it's all fun and games until the Dolphins trade down in this year's draft and accumulate even more picks in 2021. And I could totally see this happening. If the Steelers get a top 10 pick or even top 15 pick, we've seen quarterbacks slide down to those teens. And if one of the quarterbacks slide, perhaps Jordan Love, 
Perhaps Herbert goes on a mini slide and the Steelers are picking in the top 10, which is now the Dolphins. And a team calls the Dolphins about that pick to get that quarterback. Guess what? The Dolphins will then again have three 2021 first round picks. Because if you're jumping up for a quarterback, you're giving up your first this year, obviously, to exchange. And you're giving up your first next year as well. Uh, that's just the way it goes with quarterbacks. So the Dolphins could be sitting very pretty if they have the chance to secure another pick within the top 10 or top 15 and one of those quarterbacks fall down at the draft boards. And even, you know, there's always quarterbacks that pop up um, that have a great season and who jump into that mix as one of the top quarterbacks. And I think a prime candidate for that is Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma right now who transferred from Alabama. I think he's having a hell of a season thus far. And you can listen to more, you know, about him throughout the season as we continue to track these quarterbacks in the offseason and so forth. But there's always guys who pop up, and I think the Dolphins, like we've all mentioned, they're going to be in a very nice position come draft day and come leading up to the draft. But obviously, number one pick is that goal. There is not a general manager alive in NFL history that's had this type of treasure chest. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I can't think of one. The Browns are close, but they they had they didn't have this amount of picks in this you know over this span of a few years. It's gonna be great. Uh, Any last thoughts, yeah. Houts inside? Trust the process. Tank for Tua. Let's let's do this. Owen sixteen, baby. <laughs> Listen, I'm totally cool with Owen sixteen. If it means getting two up. Houts, I'm gonna have to pick your brain about uh, places to go in Miami. And uh, oh yes, yes. Before we hang up, how I know you talked about it on your Finsider Daily. I was listening to it earlier today, but just give us a brief recap before we end the show here. You were in Miami in the press box. How was it? Anything that you were surprised at? Anything that you had a lot of fun? What were your reaction to it? Yeah, I obviously had the time of my life, and I need to thank Scott Stone, you know Kevin Noggle, SB Nation, and Dolphins for setting it all up. I know you guys will be going later this this year. I mean, it was just nice to see some of those writers that you looked up to be in the same press box as them, you know, cover the game as a professional. I didn't tweet out any bad memes or say any curse words, I don't think so. <laughs> I, pulled my, I pulled my hair back and tried to look the part. So it was just, it was a really awesome experience and, you know, something that you just, you just never imagine, you know, when you started writing an article here and there or doing a podcast with you two guys that some of the opportunities we would have, I'm over the moon excited and hopefully I get to do it again. I know when I went last year, Houts, a few times, I was surprised the first time of how quiet it was during the game. I mean, I, I knew it was going to be a professional working environment in the press box. I didn't realize you could hear a pin drop throughout pretty much the entire game. And I'm sure it was the same way, you know, with with, with you last Sunday. Yeah, Omar drops a few curse words every now and then. <laughs> he, he, he seemed like the way I wanted to watch the game. It was, it was pretty yeah. cool hearing come out of his mouth. <laughs> Yeah, and you know you could hear the crowd a little bit, but you're you're blocked by glass. You're inside a comfortable air conditioning environment, but you don't get the full effect of being inside the stadium with all the fans. So it's a little different. You have to adjust yourself. You have to get a little used to it. And you know I'm glad you you went out, and I'm proud of you for getting there and and having a time of your life. And uh, thank you, and thank your wife, because if it wasn't for you yes. guys, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do that. So thank yep. you. As you guys may have known, as we talked about on the show before, I forgot it was my wife's birthday weekend. I had originally committed to going down there, and then I realized a few weeks later it was my wife's birthday on Saturday, 
And if I did not want to be in the doghouse for several weeks, I had to make changes. And thankfully, House was able to take my place and get down there for the butt whooping. Um, I know also when I went down there last time, I was surprised at how crazy the locker room is right when the doors open, when all the reporters just run to different lockers to, to get uh, sound bites. And I'm sure there was a lot of running around after the game, whether it was Minka, whether it was Kenyon Drake, Kalen Balaj, or others, Josh Rosen. I'm sure it was just a wild scene there as well. I almost got, I thought it was Black Friday in there. You know, the way you see those videos go on Walmart and Target and everyone just running in for those flat screen TVs. That's the best way I can describe when those locker room doors open. I completely agree. All right. Sign. We're scheduled to head down in mid-November against the Buffalo Bills. I cannot imagine what the status of the team is going to be like at that point in time. I don't know what yeah. type of scenario we're going to be walking into, but it's going to be gonna a blast be no matter what. It's yeah. going to be nuts. We're going to have a lot of fun. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us here on Finsider Radio. We'll drop this, and then I will be coming to you on Friday morning with Finsider Daily, and then we'll head into the Dolphins versus Cowboys matchup. On Sunday, we'll see if the Dolphins can improve as they continue to do against the Patriots. Still got blown out, but we did see signs of improvement from the defense. Now let's see the offense get back on track. That's going to do it for us. For Joshua House and Aaron Sutton, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins. Cause we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins.